Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, good morning. Welcome, uh, not only to those of us in this room, but those who are joining us online, and particularly our new campus in Vallejo. This is their very first Sunday, so we're so excited for you. We love you and love what you're doing there and all that you are, are giving to make this uh, outreach and the love of Christ uh, even further than beyond our Benicia campus. So uh, we're just excited for you. Uh, it was actually on Palm Sunday in 1990 that a group of 12 people met together for the very first time as Northgate Christian Fellowship. So this is like carrying on the tradition. Palm Sunday is when we do this kind of stuff. We're really excited about it. Yeah. So we're glad that you're a part of it. Um, today we are finishing up this series called Soul Keeping. It's been based on John Ortberg's book by that same title. And it's all about caring for the deepest part of who you are. That it is your soul that, that integrates and aligns everything else that, uh, that makes up who you are, and, and that your soul was designed to be with God. And so caring for your soul is one of the most important things that you can do. And so that's why we've been taking these weeks leading up to Easter, um, just talking about caring for the soul. Uh, last, uh, last two weeks, we've talked about some of the things that your soul needs. Your soul needs grace. Your soul thrives in that grace of God. And, and last week we talked about gratitude, that your soul needs gratitude because gratitude is the natural expression of God's grace to you. And so today I want to talk about one more thing that I think is absolutely vital and necessary to the health and vitality of your soul, and that is rest. We get so busy and so caught up in all of the things of life that we don't take time to rest in and nourish our souls. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And it actually comes from the words of Jesus found in Matthew 11. If you want to turn there, uh, beginning in verse 27, this is what Jesus said. All things have been committed to me by the father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, it's important to understand, Jesus didn't promise that life would be easy or trouble-free. He didn't even promise that you would get all of the sleep that you really want. But what he did promise... What he did promise was in the midst of whatever is going on in your life at any given moment is rest. A sense of of contentment, a sense of at peace because you are not alone. And so as we're finishing up this series, I want to talk about this idea of soul rest. And and, and this became very important to me at my very first ministry position. The, The pastor of the church that I was youth pastor at said, This was one of the verses that he just relied on. It became one of my life verses for the last umpteen years now that I've been pastoring. But he said, you know, wherever you're at and whatever's going on, and no matter how stressed or strained life might be, God has promised his rest for your soul. Rely on that. Rely on that. So today I want to talk about this idea of rest for your soul. And I think it starts with something very, very important, and that is this. That a rested soul relies on Christ's authority over 
everything. Now, that's very, very important because you can only have rest if you are confident that you are well cared for and protected. And Jesus, before he even promises this idea of rest, he starts with these words. All things have been committed to me by my Father. In other words, I will be your source for everything. And you can have confidence in that and you can rest in that. That God the Father has entrusted everything into my hands. And because you are now in my care and you are in my hands, as you trust in me, there is rest. And nothing else can provide that sense of confidence and that sense of rest. No one else, nothing else can. It's kind of like um, a hammock. You, know, you look at a hammock, you know, strung between two trees, and it looks so inviting and so comfortable. And it is, as long as you don't move. Have you noticed that? You know, it looks really inviting and comfortable, but you get in there and it's like if you tilt any one way too far, boom, you're on the ground. That's like anything else you put your hope in, anything else you put your trust in, your confidence in, will not provide you the deep soul rest. It might provide a little bit of comfort, a little bit of ease, but it doesn't provide that confident rest that only I can give you. And that's important because it all comes back to him. Your rest for your soul has to rely on him. It's what we remember and we're celebrating this week as we get into Holy Week and and starting today with Palm Sunday and, and then Good Friday and then as we celebrate on Easter. What we are celebrating is the fact that Christ has done for us what none of us could do for ourselves and that because he has done that, there is a confidence that my life is in his hands and I can rest there. That is so So important, because that's really what Jesus came to do. He came to make the kingdom of God available, and that's what he preached. Look at what else he said. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. See, that's what Jesus did. Throughout his life, he was revealing God, he not only told us, but he showed us how good God is, how loving and caring God is. And, and, and that's why on that first Palm Sunday, crowds of people flocked to him and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had no idea the deep truth of what they were saying, but they recognized something in Jesus that said, here is something available to us that was not available to us ever before. And so throughout his life, that's what he was showing us, how good God is, how loving God is. And on the cross, on the cross, what he was doing is demonstrating to us the fullest extent of God's love so that we would know that we could confidently put our trust of our whole lives in his hands and there we would find rest. And that's what Jesus promised. This is what he said. I have come that they may have life And have it to the full. Now, what he's talking about there is not filled with material possessions, not filled with all kinds of other stuff. He is talking about a fullness of life that comes only through him. That there's that sense of fulfillment and purpose and meaning that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that goes deep to the depths of our soul. And so he comes to us in this life where we are, and he brings to us a new life, an eternal life. In fact, if you read Jesus and and, and his teachings, he never talked about eternal life in terms of going to heaven when I die. When he talked about eternal life, he talked about it in terms of relationship. 
that I am in you and you are in me. In fact, his very last prayer as he prayed not only for his disciples, but for you and for me. Thousands of years ago, he prayed for you and for me. And part of his prayer was this. In that prayer, he defined eternal life. That this is, this is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, he defined eternal life in terms of a relationship. And that's where our sense of rest comes from. That your soul is the eternal you that will be, the eternal now that will be the eternal you, as Dallas Willard said. Who you are right now, what God is doing in your life right now, that is eternal. That is your soul. And that's what you bring with you into eternity. Starting here, starting now. And it has to start with him. Secondly, what does a rested soul look like? A rested soul focuses on becoming rather than doing. And that's a very important distinction. Jesus talked about this in terms of being unburdened. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, he was talking about people who were living under an arduous, heavy religious burden. And that's what religion does to you. It wears you out. It weighs you down. All of this effort to try and gain God's love um, and all of this legalism that, that is all about doing will never give you the rest that you need because you never know if you've done enough. Religion and religious legalism is all about behavior modification. Trying to change myself from the outside in, and it doesn't work that way. True and lasting transformation happens from the inside out. And that's where your soul comes in. That's why it's so important. Notice the difference in Jesus' invitation. While all the religious leaders are, are talking about what you need to do, what you need to do, this is what Jesus said. Come to me, all of you who are, take, take my yoke upon you, excuse me, you were right. Take my yoke upon you. I was too quick for them like there. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. Now, that's not talking about doing anything. Those are all about qualities and characteristics. The things that are deep within you. It says this is what you learn from me. Not just a different way of doing, but a different way of being. Back in the 90s, it was a very popular saying. In fact, you could, get, um, you could get wristbands, little bracelets. They looked like this. Remember these, WWJD? Anybody remember these? Okay. WWJD, it stood, JD stood for what would Jesus do? Which was a good idea that if when you find yourself in any situation or, or something that's overwhelming or not knowing how to respond in any given situation, just ask yourself, what would Jesus do? The problem with that is most people don't know what Jesus would do. Because you cannot possibly know what Jesus would do unless you know who he is. And not just who he is, but how he is. How he lived his life. How he interacted with people. How he handled situations. And he did it very, very differently. But it flowed out of who he was. And so he had conversations with people that normally would not have a connection with God. He calls Matthew, who is a tax collector. And Matthew becomes a follower of his. 
A woman that has been caught in the very act of adultery is brought to him. And he says, I don't condemn you. Go, sin no more. He forgives, he restores, he renews. See, that's what Jesus did. And he did that because of who he was. And that's the whole thing. For us, that change comes from the inside out. And it's not about just doing, doing, doing. It's about becoming. Dallas Willard put it this way. I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were me. Think about that for a moment. He does not call us to do as he did, but to be as he was. Permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. And that's matters of the soul. For the first number of years of ministry, I thought my job as a pastor was to convince and convict people of their sin. I thought that was my job. I need to make sure everybody knew how bad of a sinner they were. You know, and I just, you know, that, that's, that's kind of how I approached everything. Until somewhere along the line, I looked at Jesus' life and ministry, and I began to realize that's not what he did. And I, be, and I further came to realize that most people are pretty much aware of how sinful they are. <laughs> they don't need anybody to lay more on them. They may not know the full depth of their depravity, okay? But, but we all have a pretty good idea that we're not the people we were supposed to be. That we know our character flaws. We know of our mistakes and our failures. We're pretty much aware of that. What people need to know is there's a way out of that. That you can become the person that God designed you to be. But that has to do with your soul. It's the transformation from the inside out. And that is that ongoing process that we talk about around here all the time, that we are all people in process, and we need to be a community of grace so that people can grow in the process. The, the diagram that we've been using from Dallas Willard through this whole series talks about this, that we have a will. That's often referred to in the Bible as our heart, the decision-making center of who we are. We also have a mind, which is our thoughts and our feelings, and we have a body with appetites and our behaviors, our actions. And those three things are always competing with each other for attention. They're always coming to the forefront. I want to change, and, and I, so I, if I summon up enough willpower, maybe I can change, except that my body has appetites that overruns my willpower. And, and so I think, well, if I can just change my way of thinking, but that doesn't do enough to really give me enough of the willpower to change my appetites and my behavior. What happens is I need to invest in my soul. I need to invest. Uh, nurture and, and grow in my soul because it is the soul that aligns all of these other things. And all that other conflict has to do with something deeper, which is your soul. I have um, very often used uh, sermon illustrations, a told story on my driving, okay? Because I find myself getting very frustrated from time to time or impatient or whatever it might be um, in my drive. In fact, I actually had, I was going to tell a driving story today, but I thought, you know what? I've told too many of those. And then somebody in the first service said, you know what? I love when you tell those driving stories. He said, you ought to do a fundraiser like driving with Pastor Ken. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I've told way too many of those kinds. I am really not that bad a driver. Ask my, well, don't ask my wife. Trust me on this one. <laughs> But I do find that I get easily frustrated or irritated at slow drivers in front of me or people cutting in or not letting me cut in or all those kind of things. 
What I have come to realize, and, and particularly through this, this series as I've been examining my own soul, is it has to do with something much deeper. Because sometimes I get frustrated or I get irritated and I, and I kind of, you know, react in ways that I wish I hadn't. And I thought, boy, I should change that. I really, I should take, you know. But what I've come to realize, you know, it's something deeper. It has to do with my soul. Why is my soul so agitated? Why, why am I living at such a hurried pace that I think by just going, you know, 10 miles an hour faster is somehow going to make my life better? See, those are soul kinds of questions. And the real change is not going to come from deciding I'm going to be a more patient driver. The real change is going to come, God, change my soul. Give me that peace and that rest and that sense of calm that only you can give. That makes sense? It's necessary for the health of your soul. And one more thing. I think a rested soul engages in habits that promote its vitality and health. See, rest is not the same thing as inactivity. Rest is not the same thing as idleness. Jesus actually said there is something involved here. There is some work involved here. He puts it this way. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You do it by taking my yoke upon you. Your rest comes when you take my yoke upon you. Now, the yoke that everybody had been laboring under was this religious legalism. But Jesus said, no, there's a different way of going through life. Now, we're not all that familiar because I don't know if anybody here has ever seen a yoke in person, okay? But back in Jesus' day, they were very, very common. And what he was talking about, everybody would understand because a yoke was something that was used to link two different, or two animals together for a particular task to, to, to spread the, um, the, the, the weight of the, of the task, whatever it would be, between two different animals. When he says, take my yoke upon you, what he is saying is, Let me come alongside you. Don't live this life all on your own. Don't try to make all those changes all on your own. Come alongside. Link up with me. It is not your task. It is my task. And it's not going to be in your strength. It's going to be in my strength. So link up with me. There is effort involved. But it's not the same thing as trying to earn God's favor. Effort is not the same thing as earning. Effort is not opposed to grace. Earning is opposed to grace, but not effort. It's the difference between training and trying. Trying harder is not going to make a change. But there are certain things that you can do to train yourself in this new life. And that's where spiritual habits and spiritual disciplines come in. Because when my soul, when everything else is disintegrated... And, and all of those different parts of who I am are vying for superiority. It is the soul that brings everything in line. And, and I need to train myself in that. Back when the 49ers really had a team. Okay? I know. There is still hope. Because look, the Raiders turned things around. Maybe the Niners can. But, but they used to have a receiver who is spectacular. In fact, to this day, he retired like 20-something years ago. 
But to this day, he holds the record for most career receptions, the record for most uh, touchdown receptions, the most um, yards after, after catch. I mean, he holds all kinds of records. His name is Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice made some spectacular catches in his day. But he didn't make those catches on the field during the game just because he had natural talent. He had a lot of natural talent, but he had a training regimen that was like none other. In fact, no one else on the team could keep up with him. He, he, would, he would run to the top of this mountain. And, and, and you know, other members of the team would try and keep up with him. No one could keep up with him. He would stay after regular practice was over and just with one of the backup quarterbacks, just practice sideline catches where he could stand his whole body out of bounds but keep his feet in bounds. He did that over and over and over again. He did it in practice so that when it counted in a game, it just came natural. And that's where spiritual disciplines come in. They are developing habits that train my soul in the ways of God and becoming like Jesus so that when the moment comes up, I know how to do what needs to be done. I know how to react in a way that honors him. I know, and I know it naturally because it comes within, from within. And that's what spiritual disciplines are all about. It's not about earning But it does require some effort. It's practicing so that when it matters, I know what to do. Because I have become someone different. So, there are a number of spiritual disciplines that we can engage in. And they are a means by which we train our soul and the rest of our being to be more and more like Christ. Dallas Willard actually puts them into two different categories. He calls them disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. And there are some disciplines of abstinence in which I withdraw. One of those is is, uh, uh, solitude. Solitude is a spiritual discipline in which I draw away from everyday life and the pace that I run at and just to be with God. Along with that is one called silence where I just shut out all the noise, turn off the iPad, you know, turn off the computer, turn off the TV, and just sit quietly and learn to listen to hear God's voice. There's another one called fasting. Fasting is a discipline of abstinence. What I am doing is I'm not getting God to listen more closely to my prayers, what I am doing is I am, I, am, I am taking what becomes a reality and a necessity for my physical being to sustain, and I put that aside for the sake of recognizing how utterly dependent I am on God for everything. And so when I fast, if I do it like a 24-hour fast, what happens is that my stomach almost becomes an alarm clock to remember God. Because when those stomach starts, starts growling, and I feel those hunger pangs, it's a reminder to me that instead of looking to satisfy this with food, to take for a moment and satisfy my soul with God. That's why we do it. Those are disciplines of abstinence. There are disciplines of engagement. Study is one of those. Taking time to, to, to learn from God's word. Prayer is another one in which I engage with God. In a very meaningful way. Worship, what we do together. Fellowship, when we gather together like this. That is a spiritual discipline by which I am training my soul 
in God's ways. So, inside your bulletin, there's one of these. I'm going to invite you this week to engage in some spiritual disciplines. One of abstinence and one of engagement. We're asking church-wide that everybody engage and abstain in a day of prayer and fasting. And and we're not going to do it here on campus. You're not going to come to a specific place. Just in your everyday life, I'm going to invite you to take this on. Now, if you have dietary concerns, if you have um, illnesses or or, or anything that is affected by your diet, um, I'm not going to say do this. You, You need to be very, very careful about that. But for those who can, and maybe you just do it for one meal, but for those of us who can, I'm going to invite you this week, beginning Thursday night at 5 o'clock through Good Friday and Friday night at 5 o'clock, engage in a day of prayer and fasting. Here's why. Because we have made a lot of plans and have put a lot of effort and a lot of work into a lot of things that are going on in our church right now. Our Vallejo campus launch next Sunday is the grand opening. That's a very important thing. What we're doing here on Good Friday and an additional Saturday night service, all these other things. We have done a lot of work, a lot of preparation. A lot of people have put a lot of time and effort into this. But none of that is going to matter one bit unless God does something. So a day of prayer and fasting is for us as a church to come before God, wherever you are at during your day, and just say, God, we need you. As a church, we need you. As an individual, I need you. And on, that, on this little uh, insert here are different things that we're going to encourage you to pray for throughout that day. But just as you go through that day, when you feel those hunger pangs, just stop for a moment. And instead of feeding it with food that will not last, feed your soul. Spend some time in prayer, acknowledging your dependence on him, acknowledging our dependence on him. Asking for his continued blessing and work in our church. For his continued moving of his spirit in each of our lives. So that we would all become the person that God intended for us to be. You with me? No, I wasn't very strong. Okay, come on. I'm gonna, are you with me? All right. Vallejo, you with me? All right. Okay, I'm, a, I'm trusting you said yes. Um, this is so important. It is so important because the work of God in this world matters to every human soul in this world. And we have a part in his work, but we do not do it on our own. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like I said, it doesn't promise that life would be easy or trouble-free. But he did promise that the yoke that he puts on us is not burdensome and will not wear us out. It is easy and it is light. Would you bow your heads with me? So as we wrap up this whole series, I want to finish with the question that I've asked each week as we've gone through this. How is your soul? How is it right now? Because you are the keeper of your soul. No one else can do this for you. So as we move forward, as we've finished this series, but, but for you as you move forward in this, what changes need to happen in your life that you cannot do on your own, but you can invite Jesus to be with you, that you could take his yoke upon you, 
And you say, God, this change needs to happen deep within. What character flaw might need addressing? Where do you need Jesus to come alongside you in your life? Let me invite you to welcome him in and team up with him and let him make those changes from the inside out. And if there is something going on in your life, some struggle, some issue, something that just needs to be surrendered, and if I could pray for you as we close, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand, both here on this campus and, and in Vallejo too. Just let us know. God sees that hand. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 yes, mm-hmm, yeah, 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 yeah. It really is all about surrender and letting Jesus come alongside. And maybe you've never done that, and today for the very first time, you can take a first step of faith And it's really essentially the same thing. It's just an an ability to admit, God, I I need you. I know my flaws. I know my struggles. I know my hurts. I know my pains. I know my sin. I need your forgiveness. Would you take what you did on that cross and bring that to bear on my life? Forgive me. Renew me. Restore my soul. And if you've never done that, today you could take a first step of faith. Same thing. Would you just... Raise your hand. Hold it up for a moment. Catch my eye so I can pray with you as it close. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to invite you to make this your prayer. Lord, this is all of our prayer. All of us raising hands saying, you know me, you know my struggle, you know my weaknesses, my fears, my anxiety. You know me through and through, better than I know myself. But today, today, in this area of my life, or for the very first time, my life, I'm putting in your hands. Let your grace flow over me. Wash me and cleanse me from the inside out. Bring your life to bear on mind. And not just forgive, but renew and restore my soul. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.